Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army, and thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host, Marco, and for any first-timers, this is a true crime podcast where I focus on murders committed by military members and veterans, and sometimes their family members. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to enjoy listening, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast, and if that's you, welcome home. But I do want to say... As most of my True Crime Army probably can already tell, my voice is practically gone. I wasn't feeling too well last week and then I went out to PodFest and completely lost my voice. So if this is your first time listening, I would recommend stopping and going and listening to a different episode. But if you've been with me for the long haul and you're all caught up, then let's get ready to discuss a new case. Another thing that I want to say to my True Crime Army is how much I appreciate each and every one of you. I got to chatting with some podcasters recently, and when I tell them all about the emails and the direct messages that I get from all of my listeners, they don't believe me. So I just want to say, I love you, True Crime Army, and that's it. I need to acknowledge today's show producer, producer Kristen, with an E, because she's a 10, not a 10. Uh, That was a joke that she told me, and I thought just... Thank you so much, girl. Thank you so much for your kind donation, and I am forever grateful. Today's case is another listener-recommended case, and it is fresh off the press. Like, literally, it was just decided about a month ago, and it came recommended by two of my listeners. All right. If you've ever been on the receiving end of military orders, you know that seeing places like Germany, England, Japan, or Hawaii you know you've hit military gold. So many people join the military to travel the world and sometimes they get stuck in the same state that they grew up in. Well, anyway, today's case is out of paradise, the great state of Hawaii. Join me today as I discuss a military spouse who was asleep at her house on base when someone broke in and murdered her. Who would commit such a heinous crime? Only a true monster. But sometimes, the true monster doesn't physically do the killing at all. I hope you're ready, because by the end of this story, you will all be wondering why more people don't live by my first true crime army rule. Now, let's dig in. My sources for this episode include the District Court of Hawaii's ruling on motion to suppress, the Hawaii News Now, the Honolulu Star Advertiser, the New York Daily News, CBS News, and the New York Post. Our story is set in Hawaii in 2014. 34-year-old Sergeant Michael Walker was an Army medic. He was originally from Bennington, Vermont, and he was married to 38-year-old Catherine Walker. She was from Albany, New York, and the pair met a decade before this story and married in Catherine's hometown, They were avid church people and very Mormon. But like most relationships, there's always one person who's more religious than the other. 
And in this particular relationship, Kathy was the devout Mormon. Michael and Catherine knew that they wanted to be parents, but it just wasn't working out for them. And they spent over a decade trying to get pregnant. And in 2014, they were finally turning to in vitro fertilization, IVF, to make their dream of holding a baby of their own a reality. In early November, Mike and Kathy went for a hike. And when they returned to their car, they noticed that the car had been broken into and Mike's wallet had been stolen out of the car. This violation of privacy really made Kathy uncomfortable. And she became paranoid, thinking the person who stole her husband's wallet would return to her house and hurt both her and her husband. And she told anyone that would listen. And this premonition wouldn't be too far-fetched. It was November 15th, 2014, and Mike had just finished up a 12-hour shift at the Tripler Army Medical Center. At about 6.30 a.m., Mike entered his on-base house on the Aliamanu military reservation. When he got upstairs, his wife was on the floor and there was blood and she was unresponsive. He immediately dialed 911. He thought his wife may have killed herself. Everything in Michael's mind was jumping all over the place. Why would Catherine do this? Military police, emergency medical personnel, Honolulu police officers, and federal firefighters responded to the scene. At about 6.50 in the morning, a police officer arrived on scene, but the officer believed that she was responding to a DUI, so she didn't come with the sirens blazing. She rang the doorbell a few times and pounded on the door, hello, hello, and after a minute and a half, Michael opened the door and said, I'm here, I'm here. And according to the responding officer, Mike was frantic but calm at the same exact time. The police discovered Catherine lying on the floor with one arm above her head and the other by her side. Michael sat on the couch while being questioned by police and he oddly rocked back and forth, back and forth while saying, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. He told the officer that he tried to give his wife CPR, but nothing worked to bring her back to life. The police officer was taking notes, and as he took notes while Michael said that he had, he had provided CPR, the police officer looked up at Michael and noticed that there was no blood on him, although there was blood on the victim and he was claiming that he gave CPR. After obtaining Mike's initial statement inside the house, Mike was shuffled outside while the police secured the crime scene. And at some point outside, Michael started talking to someone else. And the original officer overheard Michael tell someone that before he left for work the prior evening, he and his wife had gotten into a fight over food. The police officer also overheard a conversation between Mike and the chaplain. And the chaplain is a military pastor. In that conversation, Mike told the chaplain that he and his wife were having problems conceiving a baby. And the fact that she wasn't getting pregnant made Catherine's depression even worse. And Mike just commented on how strange his wife had been acting lately. Again, he was thinking that his wife had committed suicide. Because this was a death investigation on base, the Army Criminal Investigation Division, CID, they showed up at the scene, and CID chatted with Mike, 
and they decided to bring him down to their office to get an official statement from him. So by 11 a.m., Mike was at the Schofield Airfield and he was giving a recorded interview to CID, but he wasn't a suspect in his wife's murder, at least not yet. Mike immediately consented to a search of his house, a search of himself, a search of his car, and even a search of his cell phone, anything that he could do to help. But before they even questioned him, they had to strip him naked and give him a new set of clothes. Investigators begin to pepper Mike with questions about enemies, neighbors, or anyone who could have committed this heinous crime. And although Mike originally said that he thought it was suicide, it was evident to the police that Catherine did not kill herself. She had multiple stab wounds and her neck had been slashed. Mike mentioned the car break-in from a few days earlier to the police. Mike confirmed that Catherine, after the car had been broken into, had cleaned out the car and that she was fearful that someone might be coming to the house because they had stolen his wallet. Then, the investigators try to change the subject. They begin to ask more personal questions of Mike. Okay, thank you for telling us everything. Have you ever stepped out on your marriage? I'm sure that this question about infidelities took Mike by surprise a little bit, but he was forthcoming and he said, you know, yes, quote, I was correlating with other people, end quote. And the investigators were like, what the heck does correlating mean? And Mike clarified, he said, quote, I've been talking back and forth, end quote, with a few other people. He further clarified that since summer of 2013, he had been meeting randos on Craigslist for sex. So the detectives are kind of like, okay, what exactly is going on with this guy? As Mike was telling the investigators about his infidelities, his throat began to tighten as the investigators' eyes stared back at him. A man having a bunch of affairs with a dead wife isn't looking too hot. So Mike told the investigators that it was getting hard for him to chat, and the investigator responded with the following statement, quote, I'm also a Christian, you know? I judge not, lest ye be judged. You know what I'm saying, end quote. And then the investigator told Mike that they could get through this together. They were buddies after all. But before investigators continued any further, they began to realize that Mike might be more than a grieving husband. Maybe he was a participant in his wife's murder. In True Crime Army, what do investigators do if, or what should they do if they suspect someone of a crime? Well, they allow the person an opportunity to shut up or get a lawyer. They Mirandize the person. And that's exactly what this investigator did in this case. But Mike asked for an attorney, but an attorney wasn't given. And the questions continued. And Mike kept providing answers. He didn't realize that he could leave. He just said, okay, I asked for a lawyer. They didn't give me one. I'll keep answering their questions. By this point, it was about 2.39 p.m. And Mike then asked for a lawyer again. And again, his request was ignored. And remember, this is all on video. Portions of the interrogation are provided in the district court's records, which will be linked on my website because the defense eventually makes a motion to suppress his statement to the police. 
Well, Mike asked for an attorney at least twice, yet he was continually peppered with questions, clearly violating his right to an attorney. The investigator, who should receive an Academy Award for his soliloquies in the interrogation room, eventually went on a few three to five minute rants about people getting to crossroads in their life when they make mistakes and it's best to get things off their chest. At that point, it had been hours since Mike discovered the body of his deceased wife. And eventually, Mike admitted that he was, in fact, seeing a young 24-year-old woman named Ailsa Jackson. And so it's a little bit unclear what her name actually is. It's spelled Ailsa Jackson. She goes by Lisa. And when I was watching some YouTube videos about it, they called her Alyssa. But anyway, I'm going to call her Lisa for this story. So Michael admits that he's having an affair with this young 24-year-old woman named Lisa and that she had told him that he needed to leave his wife. However, during the interrogation, Mike begins to wonder out loud if his mistress Lisa could be responsible for Kathy's death. It dawned on Mike that the interrogators thought that he was the one that killed his wife and the investigator descended into another five-minute monologue, all while Mike grew increasingly agitated. And Mike finally pounded his fist on the table and said, quote, I have a problem. I'm a sex addict, end quote. Then he proceeded to call Lisa a, quote, psycho end quote, who was threatening his wife's life because she wanted him all to herself. Eventually, Mike asked for an attorney again, and the questioning finally stopped. Mike walked out of the interrogation room at 10 p.m. He had been without sleep for over 24 hours. You have to remember, he worked a 12-hour shift from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. He discovered his deceased wife, and he had been questioned for over 12 hours. Once he was released, rumors around the base were running wild. In an article written by Hawaii News Now, within a week of the murder, the neighborhood of the Aliamanu Military Reservation was very nervous because allegedly that location, even though it was on a military reservation, they didn't have gate guards. So anyone could easily just walk on and off base and somebody from off base could have committed the murder. And for anyone who has ever lived on base, you know that there is a certain safety aspect that you feel while you live on a military installation. Murders on base are rare. All of Kathy's friends, they talked about this wallet being stolen and they gave it a lot of credit. And they talked about how Kathy confided in them that she feared for her safety since that incident earlier in the week. And even though people were suspicious of Mike, Kathy's father told reporters that he was sure that Mike didn't kill his daughter. He thought the murder was connected to the wallet theft. Investigators got to digging and eventually in late April 2015, five months after Kathy's murder, they made an announcement, an announcement that would rock the community. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. 
but I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The shocking announcement was that they were indicting Lisa Jackson for the murder of Catherine Walker. Now remember, Lisa Jackson was Mike's mistress, but there was a little snag in Lisa's arrest. By the time they indicted her in April, she had moved from Hawaii to Fort Wayne, Indiana. She was detained in Indiana until she could be extradited to Hawaii. Now, it's unclear how or why it took so long to arrest Lisa. Five months since they learned of the affair. Mike brought this affair to light almost immediately. So why had it taken five months? But Kathy's neighbors, after Lisa's arrest, they could finally sleep easy knowing that someone was behind bars for Kathy's murder. After Lisa was arrested, she sang like a canary, surprise, surprise, and she threw Mike under the bus as the person who initiated discussions about Kathy's murder. And the story that was revealed was bone chilling. In September of 2014, Mike and Lisa met on an online dating app. Mike and Lisa, they hit it off and they lived in the same neighborhood. So this made it easy for them to meet up and for them to kind of like do their thing. Lisa knew almost from the beginning that Mike was married, but that didn't bother her. And as they chatted and interacted, Mike shared that his, quote, deepest desire was to have his wife gone, but he couldn't divorce her, end quote. According to Mike, he couldn't divorce his wife because he stood to gain close to $400 thousand dollars if Kathy died instead of divorced him. What in the world? Really? All for money? Anyway, according to the Washington Post, there was a string of text messages between Lisa and Mike that went like this. Lisa said, quote, I want you so bad it's like a craving, end quote. Mike responded, quote, I know, me too. If only someone was out of the way, end quote. 
This was the second time that Mike had brought up getting his wife out of the way. And once he put this information out into the universe, it was out there and it got the ball rolling for a very tragic event. Mike and Lisa spent the next few weeks plotting over email, text message, and in person how they could end Catherine's life. They called each other daddy cakes and baby girl over text message. And I'm just thinking, oh, do you just did you just cringe when you heard that? Like what they called each other, like their pet names for each other. True crime army. Listen, if anything else, do you ever think about the text messages that you send or your Google search history becoming public information? Listen, I think about this all the time. And this should really be a deterrent to murder because, man, People would make fun of me for all the ridiculous stuff that I Google and all of the messages that I send over to my friends because they're just ridiculous. So if anything else, everyone should use your search history and your prior text messages as a deterrent for murder. I know that sounds completely crazy, but just just think about it. I think about that all the time. I don't know why. I know. I just I don't know. I think about it, though. So on November 4th, 2014, Mike sent a cryptic message to Lisa that said, quote, you have my permission, the sooner the better, end quote. The Washington Post reported Lisa went to the house a week later to kill Kathy. But all the doors were locked, so she had to abandon her plan to kill Kathy. And the next day after the failed attempt, Mike texted Lisa, quote, I need my desire taken care of soon. I'm going crazy, end quote. And then Lisa responded with, quote, I know, Daddy Cakes, I was going to, but I ran into a problem, an access problem, end quote. Oh, I see. I can help with that, Mike responded. As reported by Nelson Darren Chang of the Honolulu Star Advertiser, the reason the doors and the windows were locked that day was because poor Kathy was fearful of being alone in her house after her husband's wallet was stolen out of their car. So before going to bed each night, Kathy walked around to each and every window and each and every door, and she made sure that they were all locked. Well, Mike wouldn't let up. He wanted Kathy dead. So he decided that November 14th was the day and he was going to help. On November 14th, 2014, Mike and Lisa met on base in the gym parking lot. And there, they came up with a code word that they would use to exchange text messages. One code word meant use the window to get in. The other code word meant use the key instead. Guys, I kid you not, when I was researching this case, I was like, okay, cool. So they have these code words, like one code word means kill, one code word means, you know, don't kill. But instead, they had two code words, and they all meant kill. The only difference was they indicated the easiest way for Lisa to access the house. Catherine never had a chance. According to the prosecutor, receiving a text message that said good meant use the window to gain access to the house. But a text message that said bad meant use the house key. And the house key was the key to the back door and it was hidden in the gravel. At around midnight, Mike texted Lisa the word bad, 
Mike had been working the emergency room at Tripler Army Medical Center in Honolulu at the time his wife was being murdered. Now, his typical shift was 12 hours from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., so he had a solid alibi at midnight. Well, at around midnight, Lisa received the text message and she searched for the key and she entered Kathy's house while Kathy slept. Lisa entered the house as quietly as she could and she went directly to the kitchen and grabbed a knife. Then she stealthily walked up the stairs and found Kathy. Kathy was asleep and Lisa stabbed Kathy multiple times in the neck and the torso. Then after the last stab, Lisa waited in the house for 30 minutes until Kathy took her last breath. Wow, Lisa wanted to ensure that Kathy was dead. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. During the investigation and Lisa's trial, it was revealed that Lisa suffered from mental illness for years. And according to HNN, she had been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, but she wasn't taking her medications. But Lisa hadn't stopped her medication by choice. No, not at all. Her medication had run out and due to a lapse in her health insurance, she couldn't afford her medication. Well, for whatever reason, although Mike played the lead role in orchestrating Kathy's murder, according to a Department of Justice news release, he wasn't indicted or arrested until a year after his wife's murder on November 4th, 2015. And if you thought that you knew that Mike was a rotten person for killing his wife, boy, would her murder investigation reveal so much more about Michael Walker. Mike cheated on his wife multiple times throughout his marriage, but he not only had random affairs, but he was paying for sex with men. He would meet online and pay them to have sex with him. And do you guys remember when Mike gave permission for the police to take and search his computer? Well, Mike had a hobby all his own, watching child pornography. Yup. So trying Mike for just murder would turn out to be a more complex issue. So according to various news reports, Mike faced 
two court-martials by the army before being tried by the state of Hawaii for murder. As reported by the Washington Post in 2016, Michael was court-martialed and convicted for possessing and viewing child pornography. Evidence in that case consisted of 92 pictures and 19 videos that investigators found on Michael's laptop. Now, it doesn't appear that he was convicted at the court-martial for the following, but of course, the interrogation revealed that leading up to his wife's murder, he had placed ads online and paid for sex. So that's solicitation for sex. Now, the Honolulu Star Advertiser reported that Walker received a 27-month sentence for this offense. However, in 2017, Michael faced another court-martial, and for that court-martial, he was convicted of sexually abusing and physically assaulting a child. And it's unclear from everything that I researched who that child was and how those allegations came to light. Now, it's even more unclear how much time he got for the sexually abusing a child allegation or conviction. However, after it was all said and done for these charges, all of them, he received confinement for 10 years, a dishonorable discharge and reduction in the rank from sergeant to private. Now, during the murder trial, it was revealed that Michael knew that Lisa had mental health issues when he asked her to kill Kathy. Now, it was after his two court-martials and the 10-year sentence that Mike was getting closer and closer to his civilian court for murder. And the court was scheduled for August of 2017. However, Michael's defense got a huge win before the murder trial that delayed the trial even more. The judge granted the defense's motion to suppress his entire statement, the entire statement that he gave to police only hours after the murder. But why? Why did the judge grant the motion to suppress? Well, according to reporting by the Hawaii News Now, the confession was involuntary and coerced. And Bernie Berver, Michael's defense attorney, told reporters that the investigators questioned Michael without reading him his rights, and once they remembered and read him his rights, his client clearly asked for an attorney at least on two occasions, and the interrogation continued without access to an attorney. Now, due to the trial judge suppressing the entire confession, the prosecution halted the pending trial and requested an immediate appeal, which caused the entire case to be delayed. Well, it wasn't until September of 2019 where Michael finally pled guilty to second-degree murder, even though he had been facing first-degree murder charges. He testified that he arranged for his mistress to kill Catherine. At sentencing, Michael told Kathy's family, quote, I love Kathy very much and I would do anything if I could just bring her back, end quote. In February of 2020, Lisa, after pleading guilty in 2015, was sentenced to 30 years in prison, and Mike was sentenced to 35 years. Stars and Stripes reported that Lisa avoided a life sentence by testifying against her own baby cakes. So much for love. She was only 29 years old. U.S. District Court Susan Oki Malway said she intentionally sentenced Michael to more time than Lisa 
because the entire thing was his idea. And Kathy's family, they continued to be very forgiving. At Lisa's sentencing hearing, Kathy's father, Douglas Plotz, spoke and he supported a lower sentence for Lisa, even though she was the one that physically caused Kathy's death. Mr. Plotz said, quote, We wholeheartedly forgive her. I want Miss Jackson to know that, end quote. And sadly, Mr. Plotz was living in the same love that Catherine lived her life because it was disclosed in court that as Lisa stabbed Kathy, Kathy woke up and Lisa asked Kathy if she forgave her. And as Kathy lay dying, she told Lisa, yes. A close family friend told HNN staff, quote, we got something. They're not walking away free. And then after this life, they have to answer to the Lord for their souls, end quote. Thanks to my listeners who recommended this case, this actually covers the first case where a woman actually takes the life of another person, like physically with their hands, at least cases that I've covered. And it's so sad, you know, it just... It just makes my first true crime army rule so much more real. Divorce is always better than murder. Always. I don't understand how these people actually can sit there and contemplate, hmm, divorce or murder. Regardless of its money or religion or whatever, it just never really makes sense to me. But I guess it never will. I know that you guys heard from Scott Johnson, the host of a podcast called What Was That Like? And I just want to reiterate what an excellent podcast that is. Scott actually interviews people who have phenomenal stories. My personal favorites, because I'm really into true crime, are survivor stories. My favorites are an episode about a girl who was stalked and she lived to talk about it. And there's also an episode about a woman who was shot 12 times during a mass shooting and she lived to tell the story. I mean, his all the stories are crazy, but I would definitely recommend checking them out. I think my true crime army might really like his podcast as well. So just go check it out. Right. All right. So if you guys want to chat about this case, about life, about anything, please hit me up. You can find me on social at Instagram at Military Murder Podcast, on Facebook at Military True Crime and on Twitter at Military Murder. I want to give a shout out to a few of my listeners who took the time to write some amazing reviews. Nish Poo, she wrote on Apple and she said, quote, I'm a true crime lover and a captain. I've been craving a military focused podcast. I love everything about this one, end quote. Betty Page also wrote, quote, well done. This podcast deserves a letter of commendation. Great storytelling, interesting stories. Normally, I find single hosted shows a bit boring. But Margot keeps it fresh. As a veteran and a true crime podcaster myself, I'm hooked on military murder. Yes. End quote. That's awesome. Marianne wrote, quote, military? Murder? Military murder? Sign me up. As a retired military brat who loves true crime, I love this podcast. End quote. All right, guys. I just thank you guys so much for taking the time to write those reviews. They mean the world to me and they really give me that boost of energy to keep going because I love, I love doing this podcast for you guys. All right. 
That's it. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions. This week's episode was produced by producer Kristen, and the music was created by Tyops. Please check out the show notes for a direct link to my sources page on my website, militarymurderpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of, so remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Shh, let's work another podcast.